there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or a ghost, a ghoul, that witch with those weird warts on her nose, because, my friends, it is spooky season. I am Courtney. I'm one of the librarians on this podcast that you are going to stump. I am joined by two lovely librarians, first of which is Emily. Hi, Emily. Hello. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing grand. Um, so because it's spooky season, we're going to mix it up. And I'm wondering, what were some of your favorite Halloween costumes, either as a kid or as an adult? Okay. Well, I, I'm going to include two because I definitely had two. As an adult, I was a pickle where I used... It was a great costume. It, it really was fantastic. I used a... Um, one of those like extra cushiony bed liner things, mattress toppers, um, and I turned it inside out and I spray painted it, and I just was a giant pickle. And as a child, there's I, a really great video of Emily dancing in the pickle there costume because you got to dance when you're a pickle, I suppose. <laughs> um, okay. As a child, I was underdog, which I just learned. I thought that that was a cartoon from my time, but I just <laughs> learned false. it's a cartoon from 1964, which is um, before any of our times. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but I loved Underdog. He was a he was a, a shoe shine boy that would turn. He was a dog that then would turn superhero. So he um, was a dog that yeah. shined shoes, but as also a cover. Yeah, for being it's a pretty good cover superhero. Yeah. I mean, he could have just been a dog. Yeah, that, I guess I that's, that's fair. And then fight cover. crime. He needed to pay the bills. Uh, I do remember though walking around and my aunt asking me to like fight crime because she was you know excited for my costume and I remember being nervous because I was like young well, and fighting scared crime is, a, is crime. a big responsibility yeah yeah but those are probably my favorite too what about you um so my favorites were as a kid my mom was really good at making my costumes when mm. I was like really young and um she made me do you remember the swan princess yeah absolutely um she made me a swan princess costume when I was in kindergarten I think um it's pretty that, uh, great Barbie oh my gosh Jill the Jill's here too. I'm so sorry. <laughs> By the way, no, it was like a movie. Yeah, it was, also it was a like book. a way, like a knockoff movie. I, it was a good movie. She was a swan and a princess. But as an adult, a couple of years ago, um, I was Princess Anna because right. Princess Anna is my favorite Disney princess. Well, she's a queen now. Spoiler: if you haven't seen Frozen two. Sorry. Um, I haven't seen Frozen 2. Oh I didn't know gosh, that. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Ugh. It's all right. It's fine. Family, okay, it's been over a year. You I had know. all of quarantine to watch <sighs> Frozen 2. I know you have Disney Plus. So. I do. I do. It's no true. excuses. Um, but I was Princess Anna, and Emily and I actually hung out that Halloween, and I carried around an Olaf with me. <laughs> it was a I'm great costume. Be Anna, I have to have Olaf, but it was a very good costume. Yeah. Um, but we also have Jill with us, who has... Ever heard of Swan Princess, apparently? Have you heard of Frozen, at least? What about Underdog? Or I Underdog. I've never heard of Underdog okay. or Swan Princess. What rock do you live under? I I have watched <laughs> Frozen 2, though, Emily. Oh, see? Okay. Ooh. That's more important. <laughs> more important to know about Frozen 2. Very important. Also, just the songs in Frozen 2, A+. Plus. But Amazing. Jill and her family are really great at Halloween costumes. So, Jill, what was the best, like, family Halloween costume because you all kind of pick themes right yeah well everybody does their own we've never done one where we're all kind of matching but they're always so weird so I'm gonna tell you one of mine and then I'll tell you one that my son came up with and you'll see why he is so weird like me yeah I yeah 100% kid I made myself uh, I was a refrigerator 
in a box. <laughs> and the door opened and you could take out things. They were Velcroed in like a milk and an apple. And it was... Jill, that is fantastic. I just, it was I just, so It's cool. not surprising at all. Jill's also so cool. does story time and she has the coolest felt boards ever. Jill is very crafty. So, um, Emily's also crafty as well. I have to say though that walking around in a box... It's really bad. It's a really bad trick-or-treating choice. And my cousins... Especially because sometimes it rains on Halloween. Yeah. My cousins ditched me because I couldn't walk as fast. Oh. <laughs> sad, right? Yeah. Sad. Aww. Sad. How so, dare they? Here's my sons. A few years ago, he was, for Halloween, an evil teapot. I. It's <gasps> not from anything. He just made it up. How how does one think of the brave make, little yeah. toaster? How does one? Oh my gosh, the brave little toaster! Talk <laughs> about terrifying! Yes. Oh gosh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so how does one a, go about that? It was like a you know like a sandwich board where it's okay. the same on the front and the back. Only we cut it out of cardboard and only was a teapot. Mm, okay, and then he uh, painted it. It was a nice like an light, evil Miss Potts. Yes. Oh gosh, a nice light blue teapot only with an evil face. Okay. Perfect. Evil teapot. Huh? I love it. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. All right. Well, should we answer some questions? Yeah, I think we should. All right, Jill, what's our first question of the day? So first we have a question from Avery from our Walker branch, and she is nine. And the question is, how did all the sand get in the desert? All right, Avery. Well, this is a great question. Um, But what is a desert? And first of all, I want to tell you to never confuse a desert with dessert, or you're going to be sorely disappointed. Um, and you can remember the difference between these two because dessert is so scrumptious, and therefore it has two S's, and desert just has one S. Um, but that's besides the point. Um, a desert can be identified as any desolate region that has very little life occupying it. So whenever you see like a sandy desert, there's just sand mostly, maybe a camel walking around, some cacti, um, but not, not a lot going on there. Um, the plant life, animal life, or human life, there's just very little. Um, yeah, I'd imagine it'd be hard to survive. Yeah, not much going on. Very dry, and there's there's nothing to do there really. Um, so, so a desert is a region that receives very little precipitation as well. So, um, but now the type of desert that our friend. Avery is probably thinking about as those that are extra hot and sandy, but the entire continent of Antarctica could also be considered a desert. Um, it's more like an Arctic desert because there's very little life. There's not a whole ton of precipitation. There's not a lot going on. Uh, plant life can survive there. Um, but So it fits the technical definition, but it's not really like the first thing that people think of when they think of a desert. There's like camels and stuff like that. Um, deserts do occupy around 20% of the Earth's surface, so they are one of the planet's main types of ecosystems. Wow. Um, obviously, like forests and valleys and things like that are other types of ecosystems. But like we said, there's not a lot of moisture available for plants, and there's not really a precise measure for how dry a desert is. Um, but on average, deserts receive about... 10 or less inches of rain or other types of precipitation a year. So it's not a lot, not even a foot of rain. Um, But yeah, this happens because of a really complicated weather phenomenon um, that has to do with the moist air rising near the equator and moving towards the poles and depositing rain. But on the way back, there's not much left. Um, Again, that's a super, 
super simplified answer because if I learned anything in my college weather course, is that weather is really hard to explain. I did not do well in that course. I think I think you can see that even by watching the Weather Channel. That yeah. I, oh, it's it's yeah. so confusing. And like, so Jill's sister lives in Oregon, and so right, uh huh. And she lives on the side that doesn't get as much precipitation. So if you think about the Pacific Northwest, a lot of people think it rains there all the time. But on one side of the mountains, it rains a lot, and then on the other side, of, I think it's the west, the west side of the mountains, so near the coast. Um, it rains a lot, but on the east side of the mountains, it doesn't rain that much. You know, I lived out in Washington State uh, mm-hmm. near Seattle for a while, and when I was driving out there, I was terrified because I was expecting, like, the whole state to be, like, lush and beautiful right. with ferns and trees. But, no, it's not like that at all. It absolutely is, like, sandy and very, like, deserty. Yeah. Um, until, until you get to those mountains. Yeah, and yeah. Then you're like, oh, I'm in a forest again. Um, but enough about what makes a desert a desert and more about Avery's question, which is how did all the sand get there? And so it's pretty difficult to determine the exact origin of all of those tiny sand particles. Um, but generally speaking, the sand is formed, or any sand is formed, um, as rocks break down due to eroding or weathering. Um, and the tiny particles are distributed either by water or by wind to their final resting place. Um, so the rocks that the sand particles were originally part of could have come from all over. Um, the Where the deserts are could have once been covered with water. Um, and so this is kind of what's left after the water has evaporated because of climate change. And of course, as scientists have predicted, that the continents, which are mostly separated now by large bodies of water, were once one large continent. Mm-hmm. So the sand could have formed from a rock that, you know, was where two continents were touching, but now the rock is on, you know, both continents, and now there's like a sea or an ocean between them um, either way. So that is basically it. So the sand, to answer your question, Avery, that came from the desert, uh, came from all over, essentially. But it came from rocks, I guess is the, like, technical answer. That it's always my you. favorite thing in science when talking about the earth and how it's shaped and how it's formed when you have something that's the same, say, on one continent that also appears mm-hmm. on another continent. It's just kind of the sure. coolest thing. I also learned something that Australia is technically not an island because islands can't be big enough to be considered continents. So Australia is a continent, but Greenland is an island. And so Greenland is very large. But because it's part of Europe, it can be an island because it's not a continent. But Australia is considered a continent. So Australia oh. is the continent. And then, like, New Zealand would be an island. Um, so Antarctica, also not an island, it is a continent. So the things you know. <laughs> but um, anyways, enough about deserts. It's very hot there. I don't recommend going there for too long. If you go, take a lot of water. Maybe ride a camel. Bring some electrolyte. Bring some electrolyte powder. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But Jill, do you have a fact of the day to share with us? I do. <gasps> Is it a spooky fact? I hope so. Is it spooky okay. season? And none of our questions are spooky. But this is from a Nat Geo book, which I think I, I do favor. I think I've shared. You a do few. love Nat Geo books. Yeah, they're they're just so full of really interesting facts. And again, I think we talked about this before, but they have. Fantastic, like, pictures to go yes. with the facts that they're talking about, which I love. And they have lots of fact books. Mm-hmm. So they do a really good job of having books that ju- are just filled with facts. They're yeah. not about any specific mm-hmm. thing or there's, like, an overarching theme. But 
Yeah, and it's you're gonna, you could find these books in a lot of different categories in our nonfiction section, which means if you're interested in certain things, you can probably find one of these Nat Geo books about it. Like I saw a sports one the other day. Um, but this not one for us. Is, <laughs> <laughs> it's not for us. We don't do sports here. This one is Weird But True Halloween. Mm. 300 spooky facts to scare you silly. And again, you can put this book on hold, kdl.org. But this is not a spooky fact. It is a Halloween fact and a very interesting one, but not spooky. All right. Did you know that pumpkins float? Um, I would say I, if I thought about I don't ever think about pumpkins floating. I had to make an floating. assumption about if it. If I yeah. thought about it, yes, because they're mostly hollow inside. They are about 90% water, and they float. And in Northern California, you can go to a floating pumpkin patch and pick out your pumpkin there it is Ooh. look at that picture I, and I how actually, do you get it <laughs> you know i looked it up online because i was very curious and they still do this in a city in northern california and um they had like some like of the life-saving things like a a net like things you could just emily you could your take pumpkin. your pool net perfect yeah. i have a couple of them yeah. i'll go so really fun interesting That's just a great that reminds me of the carnival thing. game where you like pick up the duck and you see if you've won a prize or, like, what prize you've won based on the number Great that's game. on your duck. Yeah. Do you get a prize if you pick, like, a certain pumpkin, or is it just the pumpkin is the prize? No, no it's just a pumpkin patch is water instead of dirt. That's all. That Maybe I cool. should get some pumpkins this year, and you all can come over and pick them you out of the pool for me. You said you were trying to grow pumpkins, right? Yes, yeah. It is failing horribly. We do have some volunteer um, gourds that happened. So they look kind of like acorn gourds sort of, but they're all white, but they are not white acorn gourds, we've decided. So we don't know what happened there. Maybe maybe next year. There's all always right. next year. There's always next year. Are you ready for our next question? Bring it on. All right, I'm ready. Here we go. Full of knowledge. This question is from Gina, eight years old, East Grand Rapids, and Gina asks, is Little House true? Who invented the book? Okay, so Laura Ingalls Wilder is the author of Little House on the Prairie series. And so she invented if you're if you're referring to that book specifically, Gina, I don't we don't really know if you're referring to Little House or if you're referring to the book in general, but we're gonna assume you meant the Little House book since it was the same same piece of paper. Um but anyways, uh Laura Ingalls Wilder, she was born on February seventh in eighteen sixty seven. A long time ago. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. She was not alive for Underdog. No. Ugh. Who was? I'm not even princess. sure. Yeah. My mom. My mom yeah. was alive for that. Um, probably all of our moms. That's fair. Were alive for Underdog. Yeah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> going back to the question. So she wrote the Little House series based on her own life growing up um, in the Midwest, which is where we are located. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily in Michigan, but Michigan is part of the the lovely Midwest part of the city. So, Gina, your question was, is Little House true? And so the short answer to that is kind of. Um, But the stories are based on her actual family growing up and moving to different parts of the American Midwest. These books are in the fiction section of our library, then the juvenile fiction section of our library, not the nonfiction section. So if they were 100% true facts, they would be in our nonfiction section. Um, like Laura Ingalls Wilder's um, biography is in the nonfiction section, but Little House is not. 
Um, but they are realistic. They're realistic. Yes. So they're based on her true life, but many parts of the story have been changed um, to tell the story that she was trying to tell. Um, she didn't start writing the story until she was 60 years old. And so it's, um, you know, obviously it's about her as a young girl. So when you're that old, as you get older, your memories change. So some of the things, you know, and she didn't have Facebook where her whole life is documented. I mean, my whole life is only documented from like, 17 and up on Facebook, but like kids now, I mean, there's pictures of them either on their parents' phones or on their parents' social media or both. So she did not have that, unfortunately, in in the pioneering days of America. One of you could write a book and look back at all the Facebook posts and and details and write your own book. Cite those as sources. That's right. Um, But anyways, she also, so there are journals that she wrote um, and other writings of hers that were published after Little House were. Um, and so she did take out some of the, like, harder stuff that her family went through um, just because it was probably pretty personal and didn't want that in the story. Um, and the books are written for kids. So, you know, you don't want too much trauma in there. And although these are still popular books today, we do want to mention that they have received um, criticism because of anti-Native American language that are in these books. Although this does reflect the way that some settlers thought and talked when these books were published, we know that those attitudes are terrible, um, and they still affect Native American people today. In fact, there used to be a literary literary award given to authors called the Laura Ingalls Wilder Lifetime Achievement Award, but because of the anti-Native American language and the ideas found in the Little House series, the award was renamed the Children's Literature Legacy Award. So we do recognize that some of the things in these books are um, extremely problematic, but they can be helpful to understand what life was like as a settler. But it's important to read books from other perspectives, and we have a few recommendations for books that you can read instead of Little House on the Prairie. Um, we like the Birch Bark series by Louise Eldridge. Um, you'll hear more about that in like a minute. Um, we also recommend Prairie Lotus by Linda Sue Park which I believe Jill talked about in a pre or Emily talked yep. about in a previous podcast. Um, it's about a girl named Hannah who is half Asian living in the Midwest during the same time as Little House was happening. Um, and Our Only May Amelia by Jennifer Holm is also based on a true story and about the first girl growing up in a new settlement in Washington. And I read that book in fourth or fifth grade, and I absolutely loved it. I could not tell you now what it was about because, again, memories, fickle things. Um, but these are just a few books that also tell stories of the same time period that Laura Ingalls Wilder was alive. So you should check those out. And you can do that by going to kdl.org, typing them into that search bar and seeing if they're at your local branch. And if they're not, all you need is your library card and you can place them on hold and they'll come right to your branch. The lovely part about KDL is that if there's a book that you want and we have it, but it's not at your branch, we can get it to your branch you know, in a reasonable amount of time. So, but uh, Emily, speaking of the Birch Bark series, um, you were going to talk about that today for our book recommendation. Yes, so I have a little a little bit to, to tell you about it. I did read this series. It's a series of five books um, when I was younger, and it was fun. I actually listened to uh, the Birch Bark House, which is the first book of the five, uh, when I've reread it this time. So we do have it on audiobook as well. It, um, it was wonderfully done. I really enjoyed the audiobook. It is a... Uh, fiction book also but it's a realistic fiction book about uh by louise um i think it's erdrich i don't oh, yeah it, yeah my bad that's right um 
And it follows the story of Omakais at our Ojibwe community, and it's around the same time as Little House. It takes place in 1847 near what is now Lake Superior. Um, this book follows her family through four seasons. So it starts out, and they're building their summer house. You get to kind of see, like, what all that takes. And um, her, Omakais's father is away, but he comes back, and, and Omakais's mother is making new moccasins for him and so you kind of learn about like these precious scissors that her mom has and how she had lent them to um, this woman named Old Tallow and Omakaius goes and visits her and has she's a part of her community but she has to go on a little like hike to go in and see her Um, and she has this strong connection with Old Tallow and on her way back from getting the scissors she encounters a bear who ends up not harming her and so she spends yeah she spends part of the book wondering you know, like, I felt this connection with this bear and, and how, what is my place, like, in nature and, and how does nature affect me and, and whatnot. So you, you kind of go with this family and their community through all four seasons, and it, it just is an interesting look into um, what may have been, you know, living in that era. Oh, Emily, um, I thank you for sharing about that. Do you know, did I tell you that I went to uh, – the author's bookstore in Minneapolis. No. Yeah, she has a bookstore. And we went we went there last time we were in Minneapolis and it was curbside only because of COVID. But I'm right. Next time we go there, if it's you know available, I'm gonna order something ahead of time. So we just window shopped and it was beautiful. They sell um, native art there too. Oh, that's awesome that's though. Cool. I'll have to I don't think I've ever been to Minneapolis. Minneapolis? Yeah, Minneapolis. Um but if I'm ever there, if Definitely. I can ever pronounce the name right, and Never. I go there, I just think I'll of, check it out. Uh, Mighty Ducks, because it takes place in Minnesota, and, they, and there's all those people, and they say where they're from, and half of them are like Minneapolis, Minnesota, and so that's like stuck in my brain. I don't know why I shared <laughs> that, but you're welcome. <laughs> great nineties movie. Great, great well, are we ready for the next question? Yes, we are. Okay, we are. before we ask this question, let's just remind our listeners that. We would love to answer your questions. So you can check that out, kdl.org forward slash stump. um, Or you can email us. Yeah. And that's new. So you can email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. And we will respond and hopefully answer your question. Our next question is from Caleb, age 14, from the Wyoming branch. And Caleb's question is, what is the secret ingredient and Coca-Cola. This is a fantastic and tricky question. Yeah, good Caleb. luck, Emily. Thank you. Um, I have the honor of researching this one. And actually... I'd just like to say you chose this question. Well, okay. So we have a spreadsheet. But also the honor. The honor. But yes. Don't, don't feel sorry for Emily because Please feel we have sorry a spreadsheet with all the questions that we get. And Emily did choose this question. I did choose this question because I think you'll be delighted in what all I found. Um, I'm going to start off by saying that I did contact some Coca-Cola representatives who never responded to Ah, me. Rats. That's fair. Um, And also, they probably are. And also, like, keeping their, their secrets. Also, before we get started with what I found, I do need to know whether or not um, you, Jill, and you, Courtney, are Pepsi or Coke fans. Coke, all the way for me. No substitutions. So, okay, complicated answer because I feel like when I was younger, I was firmly in Team Pepsi when they had the Coke, the Pepsi Challenge or whatever it was, and you had to, like, taste it and tell. I vividly remember being at Disney World 
or maybe it was Universal. It might have been Universal Studios and doing that. And I, you know, you're so confident that you know, and I feel like everyone gets it wrong. Um, but as I've grown up, I've, I'm definitely more of a Coke fan than that. I love a cherry vanilla Coke, and their orange vanilla Coke is actually pretty good too. I, you're shaking your head, but it's Coke. It's Only Coke. Courtney, I don't think you should like say blanket statements like that because I definitely got the Pepsi challenge right. Well, I'm proud of um, you. But yes, I feel like a thank lot you. of people were really confident, yeah, and then were, like, I, I was confident, disappointed that they were wrong. Sometimes I feel like Pepsi is like almost sweeter. Whereas a child, maybe like with my unrefined palate, I would have been all on board with Pepsi. But yeah, I'm a Coke person now too, and I like just your classic Coca Cola, cherry or cherry vanilla mm. Coke. My favorite is when you're at a restaurant and they don't have like, obviously their Coke machines are very simple and they just have like straight up Coke. But if you ask for a cherry Coke, they'll put like grenadine oh, yeah. and uh, maraschino cherries in it. It's good. Not for Jill, but for me, it's great. I will also say that a fountain oh, Coke, yeah. is, fountain the Coke is the best of the options. Yeah. So. McDonald's fountain Miss, Coke. Then oh, they do gosh. a fantastic job. <laughs> I don't know if I buy into that. This that is McDonald's, not an advertisement. <laughs> it's not sponsored no. by Coca-Cola or all. McDonald's. Or anywhere but if you'd like to sponsor us, Coke, feel free to contact me. <laughs> I think we, I don't think we can do that. Okay, as a, sorry. That's a library. But I at mean, least get back to my call or my email that I sent. Yes, please, please yeah. respond to Emily's email, please. Coke reps, Thank if you, you are listening to this podcast. <laughs> this podcast. I'm sure, they are They're big fans of the pod. Oh, all right. Would you like to learn? Yes. what I learned about I Coke. Would love to learn. Good what deal. You know about Coke. So before I get started again, I feel like you need a little backstory. Um, so I'm going to give it to you. Great. I love a good backstory. Coke was invented in 1886 by a pharmacist that actually came up with Coke to um, treat everyday ailments. So the pioneers could have drank Coke. The pioneers could have right. could okay. have drank Coke. Um, think like <laughs> ibuprofen. Favorite drink of Laura Ingalls Wilder, Coca-Cola. That's not true. <laughs> that's not sorry, true. that's not a true. joke. That's not. We're true. giving you poor information here. <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, so yeah, it was it was created to treat everyday ailments. Think okay. like ibuprofen or Tylenol. Interesting, because uh, people do. Some people, people who aren't from Michigan, um, do Uh-oh. drink like Coca-Cola. I, we're going to fight about this again. We're going to fight about this. Um, drink Coca-Cola if they have like an upset stomach. Whereas a true Michigander no, no, no. wants no, no, a no. Verner's. We won't. We won't. You get Verner's if you have like a flu or a cold. Oh, Verner's you'll stomach. get if you're like <laughs> sick in general. If you have an upset tummy, grab a Coke. I, I, uh, it's honestly, it works. It it's that coca leaf in there. All right, I'm gonna continue moving on. <laughs> this let's not ruin our friendship here. Yeah, we could never on ruin this our pod. friendship. Um, so back in the day, large companies didn't necessarily make medicine to to treat everyday ailments. Um, so pharmacists and sometimes just people who thought they had a good idea would patent medicines uh, to treat everyday ailments. Sometimes they worked. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they were even harm harmful. Um, but this medicine wasn't necessarily put through the tests that they are today. So um, it was kind of some different standards. Okay, so that is the pharmacist who made Coke, but then somebody named Asa Griggs Candler founded the Coke company and has since given it like its popularity and kept um, like its mysterious re- recipe under wraps. Candler. This is like, this just makes me think of SpongeBob and this Krabby Patty secret recipe. Oh, and it is just like that. And Plankton wants it, but. Mr. Krabs is like, no, 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 can't no, have it. can't have it. So it's funny because Candler, as the president, would personally go through the mail and get rid of invoices that said what the ingredients were, where they were coming wow. from. It's been said um, that only two people know the actual recipe. 
to keep it a secret. Um, can they not be in the same room as each other? I doubt they can be on the same anything together. Because yeah, that, that was like the rumor. I, I don't know. It was something I feel like we were told as kids that the president and the vice president couldn't be in the same room. But I have seen President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris in the same room with each other. So maybe it's they can't be on the same plane. It might be the same plane or, or something. I don't know. It seems smart to have them in different places. Yes, it does seem smart to do that for sure. Uh, but yeah, so he wanted to keep the secret under wraps. And this like secret recipe, because you know, there's like caffeine and things like that in it that we all know goes into soda. A lot of or sugar. Pop. All <laughs> so sugar. much, so much sugar. Just like the jam that we talked about. Yeah, it's, it's a lot episode. of sugar. A lot of sugar. All the delicious things have lots of sugar in it apparently. Um, but you still don't like pies. <clears throat> don't like pie. Okay. I'm stop messing with my fruit. I head around that. Anyway, sorry. I will stop interrupting you. That's okay. Uh, so the part of this recipe that he's keeping under wraps is called Merchandise 7X because it has seven secret ingredients within it. Um, so this like secret ingredient recipe you're asking about today is different than it was back in the day. When Coke was invented, it actually had cocaine from the coca leaves in it. Um, as a means to soothe like those everyday ailments. Fortunately, though, for us Coke lovers, cocaine is no longer in the Coke. But they still use coca leaves today. They just get decoconized at the Stepin Chemical Company in Maywood, New Jersey. Um, and, and they've been decoconizing these leaves for Coca-Cola since 1903. So, Courtney, yes. would you like me to tell you the seven ingredients that go into the merchandise 7X? You know this? I, I know them. I will say that there's a debate about the amount of each ingredient and the source location because okay. the source matters. But if you get these ingredients and have like a soda a stream or time. something, a lot of time, <laughs> time on your hand. probably we should have started this podcast before the quarantine. People could have made their own Cokes. Yeah. But you I mean, can you give can it. You can also buy like a cola syrup for your soda you can. stream, but it's you, probably not the exact Yes, same. It's, not, it's not the same. But yeah, you can give it a heck of a shot on your own. Um, with these ingredients you can readily search this online the recipe comes from a 1979 article in the atlanta journal which by the way um the coke recipe is saved in a bank there in a vault so if those two people do die there's always the bank vault but yeah it came in an Ooh. article in the atlanta journal that wasn't like on the first page or anything it was like buried deep in um the newspaper puzzle to find it yeah and then this um guy named pemberton wrote i think it was pemberton pemberton um wrote a book called history for god country and coca-cola and determined that this article was you know right and actually um this american life an american or an npr show found this recipe this article um so it seems to be true so again you've got like your citric acid your caffeine your sugar um, all of that stuff. But then we have our 7X flavor, and it contains eight ounces of alcohol, which I assume is like cooked off or something. Orange oil is 20 drops. Lemon oil is 30 drops. Nutmeg oil is 10 drops. Coriander oil is five drops. Neroli, neroli oil is 10 drops. Cinnamon oil is also 10 drops. Um, now, that book, The History for God, Country, and Coca Cola, they have it in there too, but it's for a very large batch of Coke. So, yeah, you can you can try it at home. I also found out that there was a show called Coke Time. 
back in the 1950s that not essentially the best name. Oh yeah. Not the best. Not the best. It essentially had ads for coconut though and they would have singers on that would come and sing and then they'd have like an ad for coke. Interesting. I just was curious because you said it had seven flavors and it made me think of Dr. Pepper which has 23 flavors even though I'm not a Dr. Pepper fan. Um, and Dr. Pepper was also created by a pharmacist in the 1880s in Waco, Texas. Yeah. So interesting. That's very curious. I'm not a Dr. Pepper fan. I don't know why. I, I sometimes think I want to drink a Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper, and then I do, and I don't want to drink it <laughs> like anymore. I poured it, and you're like, I like, regret oh, this isn't what I wanted. Yeah, that I've made. Um, but I, speaking of like Coca-Cola. So I have some friends from the South, and this is a tangent that we're going to go on. Where, So in, in the Midwest where, where we're recording this podcast, um, what do you call a carbonated beverage? Like in, in general, what do you call it, Emily? You're supposed to call it pop. Yeah, but do you call it soda? I call it soda. Okay. I don't know soda why. Soda or pop is like, okay, but in, in, the mid, in Michigan, we usually call it pop. Um, if you go down South, they call everything is Coke. So, and then they ask you what kind of Coke you want. And, you know, my brain is like, there's only, there's only one Coke, it's Coca-Cola. But, like, orange soda or orange pop is Coke. It's orange Coke. You know, like, it's yeah. just so confusing. And also, poor Coca-Cola. Like, they work so hard. Like, that's their name is Coke. And now it's just being used to but since everything. they're they're from the south maybe that is how coke prefers it maybe well, they maybe. want people subliminally well, being coke like oh reps, coke you know big fans of the pod yeah get uh, back let to us me, know coke do you, reps do you have a problem with people in the south calling everything every carbonated beverage coke or do you have a problem with us calling it pop and soda i mean that is a debate jill do you need to weigh in on this debate i absolutely have to weigh in on this debate. do it i uh I just recently listened to a different podcast about Coke specifically and a lot of the thing, same things, Emily, that I, I learned from you. I had heard in that podcast. But, Perfect. Uh, I do think that it's like Emily said, that in Atlanta, Atlanta is where the Coke company is. I, I think they like it. They like it? Yeah. It just confuses me. I, I'll never forget. I was a kid and I was at Vacation Bible School and we had um, a group come from, I think they came from Tennessee to help out with, with VBS and uh, my cousin went out to eat with them because she's older than I am. And so she was a cool teen like them. And I was like 10 and had to stay home with grandma. It's fine, Rachel. Um, anyways, and she was so confused when they were like just referring to Coke and like pointing at, I think it was like orange pop or something like that. I can't ever say orange pop. I have to say orange soda because of Keenan and Kel from the 90s and oh. who loves orange soda. Anyways, everything else is pop. But orange soda is soda. Um but yeah, I think we've had a great pod. I think we have learned quite a bit. Emily, what was your favorite thing that you learned? Um, that's a good question. I am still kind of reeling from the fact the underdog was from 1964. Um, <laughs> way before our time. Yeah, way before our time. Um, I also kind of want to get these ingredients for Coke and, and see if I can. There's only make one that Coke. I didn't recognize, and it was the Neroli, Neroli oil. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? I don't. Okay, well, we'll find out. Yeah. Or someone else can find out and email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. Um, also, yeah, research. if you tried making some Coke, let us know if yes. it was any good. <laughs> yes. The drink. The drink yes. Coca-Cola. The beverage. Try making that beverage. Let us know. Um, you probably also need, like, a soda stream. So, like, get some carbonated water. Um, 
I'm assuming carbonated water. Is that on the list? Water, 2.5 gallons. Okay, let's hope it's it's carbonated. Um, but yeah, I think my favorite thing was learning about Coca-Cola. I think the hardest thing would maybe get getting the decoconized coca leaves. Although I suppose they just have that. I mean, they syrup. probably do, but I don't know. I think that is what person. helps your stomach in the because probably yeah. Hmm. Anyways, well, yeah, we learned lots of interesting things today. What was your favorite? Um, gosh, probably the Coca Cola stuff because we all drink Coca Cola. Obviously, we talked about that, so it's interesting to know what's in it and what gives it that unique flavor. Um, also yeah. that Emily likes sweet things, but not sweet pie. Too much. <laughs> too, too much. Too much sugar. Yeah. That? Anyways. But Coke has no, not <laughs> Coke. enough, if you ask me. That's not true. Coke is plenty enough sweet. Coke I'm just kidding. So Jill sugar. is watching me like I need to eat less sugar. <laughs> well, that was fun. That was I so feel like fun. we learned a lot. Um, as always, you can visit kdale.org forward slash stump for more information and to submit a question um, for your chance for us to read it and answer it. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, hopefully we won't be stumped. You can also email us at stumplibrarian at kdale.org. Tune in next time um, where we'll have an episode to answer more of your questions. And we would like to thank J.D. Delinsky for our intro music, the KDL Amy Van Andel Library and Community Center in Ada. Um, for the podcast room and the KDL marketing team. Yeah, department. we'd also love to thank Gina, Avery, and Caleb for their wonderful questions. And we'll see you, or we'll, I guess you'll hear us. We won't see you. Um, but you can listen to us in the next podcast. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, y'all. Bye.